House Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, this is post-debate week, pre-debate week. We're in the middle of it. This is it. This is it, and and what an unusual debate for so many reasons. First, of course, for the the numbers and the ratings and the attention. Eighty-four million people. So a couple that people thing, just on broadcast. Almost the numbers we get on our podcast downloads, which is impressive. Yes. And and of course the personalities, but also because one of the most unusual things happened in the aftermath, John. For every debate that I can remember uh, covering, uh, the both sides said they won, and there's spin afterward. And no, oh, no, no, we won, we won, we won. Now Trump said that. But he didn't act like it. And within hours of the debate, you had him complaining about the moderators, complaining about the microphone, complaining about the questions that were asked. And then his team starts complaining about the man himself, Donald Trump. And and meanwhile, he's engaged in a new fight with the former Miss Universe. And he just he sort of defaulted in the aftermath. And you know, uh, he, he didn't I win. I don't, I don't even understand where you're going with this, Ricky. You saw he won every single post-debate poll except for the one that was actually a poll. Uh, <laughs> except for the ones that actually polled people, sure. Yes. Um, so, you know, it, no, it, but it was interesting to see them say we won, to see every poll huge. But you never listen to that because, of course, everybody always wins. I mean, the fact we, – we, 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 we know this. We've seen this over and over again. The, the minute you start complaining about the refs, it is the sign that you lost. Because when right. you won, there's no reason to complain. And uh, the incessant complaining about Lester Holt – which, by the way, was not there in the immediate aftermath. Trump came out uh, of the debate and then move again, another first for uh, for this. So we saw him for the first time in a general election campaign come into the spin room to talk to reporters after a debate. I mean, I've never, never heard of this. I mean, he did it during the primaries, but, I mean, we've never seen somebody do this in, in a general election. But CNN asked him directly, were you happy with the moderator? Were you happy with the questions and he said yes yeah i mean that was still when he thought he he could make a plausible case for winning it was clear that he couldn't and let's go back to to what made that possible too john because i thought you know hillary clinton she's done a few of these if you haven't heard a couple of debates that was a masterful job the strategy starting with calling him donald and up through you inherited the money from your dad and maybe you're not as rich as you say you are and you didn't give to, you know he's the named caller right but she called him a whole bunch of names and got under his skin and in you saw the facade break down about 20 minutes in trump was holding his own but before long he's 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 hitting back and the strategy fell apart by the way, I want to address the microphone thing quickly because I was in the hall for the debate. And although the microphone complaint must sound crazy to most of the country because there was no differential watching on television, inside the hall there was. Uh, inside the hall, he was much uh, – it, it was actually sometimes even a little hard to hear him uh, in, in, in the back of the hall. I assume it was simply because his mic – you know, he's taller and, and, and it didn't reach all the way up, up, to his, up to his mouth the way hers did. But there was an issue with the microphone inside the hall. But, of course, if you're watching on television, they, they both sound exactly the same. Um, so that that seems a little, but but Rick, John, I wasn't going to bring this up. My microphone has never been. I'm just. I think I, I'm, I understand, okay. Rick. I understand. And and you and I uh, were uh, text sharing text messages during the debate. And and I will confess here on Powerhouse Politics that I sent you a text at uh, you know I don't know 25 minutes or so into uh, into the debate. 
saying that I thought this was the strongest debate performance of Donald Trump's political career. Now, I think I did that at precisely the moment everything started to fall apart. But during those first 20 or so minutes, he seemed like he came ready to play. Yeah, and I I thought there was a plausible case to make that at least a split decision, if not a Trump victory early on. Uh, then you start started to see things turn, and it was the the flip side. I, I think you saw both sides of Donald Trump, the good side from his, his, his supporters' perspective when he was channeling the anger of the American people, taking it right to Hillary Clinton. You've been there for 30 years. You couldn't get it done. That what's the, That's vintage Trump. That's the key to his appeal. But when that anger turned elsewhere uh, and the dismissive answer uh, that he had uh, about, uh, uh, about the birther issue and then – Taking the fight again to the former Miss Universe and calling her fat on stage uh, was symbolic of or emblematic of the problems that he had the rest of the night as things went south very fast for him. And the complaints afterward, John, I've never seen this before, but you have some extraordinary quotes from anonymous aides, including uh, one to our own uh, Candace Smith, who covers Trump for us, saying the problem here was not preparation. It was execution. That means the problem was the candidate. The candidate screwed up is what that means. And in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Newt Gingrich, uh, one of uh, Trump's, of course, uh, strongest and most vocal supporters, but also a very important person in that inner circle, uh, somebody who helped prep him for this debate, somebody who advises the campaign uh, every day. And I'll be interested to see where Gingrich comes down on this, but to see top high-level campaign aides, even on background, uh, saying that the problem here was execution, not preparation. In other words, in and we're still, I mean, you know, I mean, we still got more than a month to go here, Rick. <laughs> right. Uh, already saying, look, our guy screwed up. We did everything right. You know, we prepared him right. He had, he was ready to go, but he just, he had a moment where he, he, he just didn't, you know, he couldn't pull the trigger. And um, I, I don't know. I've never seen it. I, I've seen that after a campaign. I've seen it in the final days of the campaign. I remember in the 2008 campaign how eager some of the people that were on the McCain-Palin team uh, would, would, would come out, and some of them eventually came out very much on the record, but but written initially in background, talking about, in their view, what a disaster Sarah Palin was and about how she wouldn't listen to them. Um, but that that's after it's over. That's to hear right. this in September is is absolutely un- unheard of. Yeah, and you contrast that with the fact that, that the Clinton team executed exactly on what their vision needed to be, and, and they played the game almost perfectly in the aftermath to, to, to roll out a new character in this uh, in this uh, ongoing drama of Donald Trump versus the universe and in the former Miss Universe. And then I think a, a, maybe an overlooked story of the week, but the, the, the quiet show of force that you had when all of a sudden out on the trail – is Michelle Obama out on the trail is Bernie Sanders and 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 solving very particular problems issues potentially for Hillary Clinton this this show of surrogate force the reinforcements who are out there it's a reminder of what that uh, democratic bench can bring to bear so wh- where where do we go i mean we we went into the debate with the polls tightening uh looking i mean statistically tied uh in the national polls and um, statistically tied in, in, in many of the key battleground states, Trump even in, in some of the recent polls uh, gaining ground in Virginia and Colorado, states that had been uh, where it seemed that, that Hillary Clinton had, had pulled away, uh, looking in some polls a lead in, in, in Florida, Ohio, uh, Nevada looking good for Trump. Um, where, where, do, where do you think we go now? 
my presumption would be that you start to see Hillary Clinton widen the lead a little bit. Uh, I think one problem she had in in previous polls is that her base just wasn't on board yet. And you saw in our latest ABC News Washington Post poll came out over the weekend that he was doing better among core Republicans than she was Democrats. He was doing better among Romney voters than she was Obama voters. And uh, part of that has to do with the third party candidates. Part of that has to do with motivation. And I, I have to think that her supporters saw that debate and then saw the aftermath of that debate and said, that's the stakes. That's why we need to be for her and against him. So we, our, our colleague David Wright uh, sat down for an interview with Bernie Sanders now that he's out on the, the, the trail uh, for Hillary. There were a couple things that were interesting in this interview, which, uh, which ran on Nightline, uh, part of it, uh, Rick. One is that you see Bernie Sanders coming pretty close to echoing the words of Ted Cruz in the, in the, in the Republican convention, the vote your conscience thing. He stops, he stops short of actually telling people you've got to vote for Hillary Clinton. Listen to this. It is not my job to tell people how to vote. It really is not. Uh, what I have said, people will vote their own conscience. All I can say is, uh, is that I think for so many reasons, uh, Donald Trump must not be elected president, and I intend to do everything I personally can to make sure that does not happen. So there you have Bernie Sanders saying it's not his job to tell people who to vote for. Vote well, your actually, conscience. Vote your conscience. Isn't it? I mean, actually, <laughs> who said that? I, I will tell you this. It is very much the opinion of the Clinton campaign that it is Bernie Sanders' job to go out there and tell people uh, who to vote for. That's why they want him out there, you know, uh, 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 touring the places he's going to be touring. Now, of course— Unlike Cruz, he, he does give a, a whole, you know, a wholehearted uh, endorsement of Hillary. But uh, but that was kind of an interesting formulation, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. And and his voice carries weight. I mean, this is a guy that wasn't a Democrat at all until he ran for president. He's got astronomically high approval ratings inside the Democratic Party. And, and this issue of... Uh, of independent voters who voted in the Democratic primary, voted for him, and bringing them back on board and keeping them away from Jill Stein. This is real, and that, I think, is critical to understanding the, the, the Hillary's path with her own base. Part of his message out there, by the way, and this also came across in, in, in David's interview with him, is you know his message to these people that are, that are uneasy with Hillary Clinton and not sold on her, these progressives who don't think, don't trust her as a true progressive, is that he's promising to hold her feet to the fire. He's promising to keep her from drifting in the other direction. I mean, I've got to tell you, Rick, I and I know you've had these conversations too, but you talk to people on the Clinton team and there is still real bitterness about the damage they believe that Bernie Sanders did to her during the primaries. You know, the way one of them uh, said it to me actually at the debate was, you know, remember – he was the one that portrayed her as the woman from Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. And we're still fighting to shake that. We're still fighting to shake that, especially with the millennials who, who you know, that was the impression that they had of, of Hillary Clinton, came from Bernie Sanders. So they're still quite upset about it. And I don't imagine they like uh, talk now from him about how, you know, he's going he's gonna to keep her on the straight and narrow as if, you know, she, she needs Bernie Sanders to keep her from straying into uh, becoming a Wall Street tool. And look just where he was this week, New Hampshire, and that's a problem that the Clinton people have identified, and that stayed a lot tighter than they expected it to be, and that was that was Bernie Sanders' breakthrough state. I do think that's an interesting dynamic that you know we've covered the angst in the base in both parties for so long, but that even that 
at this moment where Hillary Clinton seems to have everything moving in the right direction for her, she still has to contend with an anxious left that is not going to be sold on her in the wake of the Wells Fargo scandal and, and, and other banking issues. This is still a candidate that they're not going to be entirely comfortable with. And you mentioned the way the Clinton team orchestrated this debate. She was clearly very well prepared. Uh, she had a strong debate. But that last part of the debate where she went right there on the Miss Universe uh, thing uh, without any question leading her there, I mean, it was it was really qu- quite interesting. And, and the way they had clearly prepared a rollout, they had anticipated, I mean, I don't know if they could have anticipated exactly what Trump was going to say, but they'd clearly uh, come pretty close. And then they had her, you know, there with their with her, uh, you know, interview with Cosmopolitan and 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 ready to cue her up on on calls with with reporters. Uh, it was interesting. I mean, that that that's that's what you try to do in a big debate. You try to get a big moment and you know capitalize it in the days after. I've never quite seen one orchestrated as well as that. Frankly, I mean, that was um, that was that was that was pretty elaborate planning and orchestration, and they pulled it off. That was clinical, a surgical strike. Uh, That's how the game is played. And the Trump folks, interestingly, we find out in the days afterward that they had prepared uh, a set piece on Benghazi, for instance, and were frustrated to see that the word Benghazi was not uttered on the debate stage, that Trump didn't... They actually invited one of the survivors from Benghazi and had him in the audience clearly for, for Trump to be able to refer to, and he was not was not able to get there. That's right. And the other issue that, that Trump has said specifically that uh, that he you know wished he had gotten to in some way was the subject of Bill Clinton and infidelities, which is a rich subject for Trump, of course. Also a politically perilous one, as Republicans have learned. We'll talk to our guest, Newt Gingrich, about that in a little bit. But, John, that would have been a much different debate if the headlines coming out of it were about Monica Lewinsky and Jennifer Flowers. Is he really going to go there, or, or, or is this kind of trying to get in Hillary's head a little bit? Well, he's by saying that he didn't go there, he's kind of going there. So well, of course. I mean, he's, he's gone there. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, over the months, he's gone there uh, time and time again. But I'm saying, is, is he really going to do it on a debate stage with Hillary Clinton standing right next to him? Is so, he really going to do that? To play out the argument, what, what does it do for you? Uh, it, it obviously opens him, him up to lots of vulnerabilities about his own past. And Wait just, a minute. What are you talking no, about? No, I mean, Google, I mean you can listen on. to some Howard Stern interviews, one or two over the years. I mean, but, really. But it, it, if it's a reminder to people, get, get back to that core argument that I think he hit so well in the first 20 minutes or so. If it's about Hillary Clinton as part of the problem, Hillary Clinton has been there for 30 years and she's been thinking about things and not doing things. If part of that argument is the, the scandal fatigue and do we really want to go back to that era, then reminding people in, in that sort of forum can work. Uh, it is, it, it, it's sitting there, it's out there. Of course, the next debate, John, is uh, a town hall format, so the questions are mostly posed by audience members, so that makes it maybe a little bit more difficult to, to wedge in. He'll have the third debate. He does say he's going to go to all three, despite some suggestions in the immediate aftermath of the debate. But if he goes there, it is nuclear, and, uh, and, and I don't know that you can predict how that, how that breaks down. Uh, I, I question, you know, John, how many viewers are just not aware of that or not aware of the attack. I mean, that's kind of a ubiquitous piece of knowledge, even if you're too young to have remembered it firsthand you read about it in high school i mean it's 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 part of american history now so really did they allow you to read that kind of stuff I, in high school i think it's there i I'm mean not it's sure, impeachment. Man, I, I mean it's it, it gets there it's you know maybe not as explicit as donald trump might make it, it as explicit as the <laughs> as the star report is that is that is that <laughs> i mean an official government document yeah but is that the kind of thing they allow in in, in high school uh, libraries it depends on the high school I mean, you remember some of that stuff uh, <laughs> god i don't know i don't know you know the thing is that when that happened, 
the effect of the country was to be, you know, was to actually make her a sympathetic figure. Right, she right. She was the victim in all that. Now, we've gone a long way and they bring up the way the, 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 the women were vilified. And all. I mean, you know, who knows? But, but I, I, think, I think it's risky. I think so too, and and I, I'm not sure. We were Kellyanne Conway, the, the the Trump campaign manager, says she's not necessarily advising him to go there. It's tempting for him, and it fits with his personal style to go there. It helps him maybe to just leave it around the edges. There was a whole lot that he left on the table, though, and, and he didn't lose this debate because he didn't say Monica Lewinsky or because he didn't say Benghazi, and that's the piece of this that makes it an interesting piece of political theater for the next one up. Meanwhile, you got the Veeps. Uh, who, who debate on oh, Tuesday? Oh yeah, we've got a debate so, on Tuesday. That's gonna be in Farmville, right? Farmville, Virginia. Eighty-four million people watched the presidential debate. You and I both overshot the mark, but of course, yeah, we're we, not, we we both predicted closer to a hundred. But we're not uh, cord cutters, and I think when you, when you add in the numbers, the online viewers, I, I think hundred million easily. Easily, yes. Yeah. So, so we were right, in other words, hundred percent right. Yeah. So, but so if that was eighty-four. What's this one will be the, like 150 million, right? I mean, this is Pence and Kane. 150,000, did you I mean, say? I mean, <laughs> this is going to be. I mean, this is. How many people know who the running mates are? How many people can, can identify? If we went out right now, I mean, even in Washington on the street and carried a photograph of him and asked how, how many out of 10 would be able to correctly identify him? I hope in Washington. But it's a good question. Uh, good, you know, good I don't think it's 10, Rick. It's not 10. It's not 10. And people will forget. But I, what's the role here, John? I mean, how do you employ... Now, knowing that part of this is clean up from the last debate, if you're the Trump campaign, how do you use Mike Pence? How do you use Mike Pence to prosecute a case? Uh, it would be very strange for him to use the sort of lines that Trump says he didn't use. It would be very strange for him to prosecute a case against Benghazi or Bill Clinton's women with Tim Kaine uh, on, the, on the stage. But do you use him to put him on the attack? Do you use him to change the storyline, knowing that you've got – another five days between that and the next presidential debate, and we only have 40 days total left in this whole campaign. Well, you remember, he's got that solemn vow about personal attacks. He doesn't do them. Uh, he, he has a very different approach uh, than, than Donald Trump. I think that the impact of this de- vice presidential debate won't be much on the overall race, regardless of how they go in. But I think those that do watch, I predict, and I think pretty safely predict, uh, that, that many people will come out of this saying, why aren't those the two candidates on the top of the ticket? I mean, they, they, they're, they're much less well-known, obviously. Um, but uh, they, they, both of them carry a fraction of the negatives that, they're, uh, that the person on the top of the ticket take. I, I remember that being said about the, the Cheney-Lieberman debate uh, as yes. well, right? Because and that was a love fest, if you remember. It was. It was uh, so nice. <laughs> Lieberman refused to attack Cheney, and Democrats, I mean, they were, they were infuriated. The, the, the Gore people were, their heads exploded <laughs> watching Lieberman say nice things about Dick Cheney to Dick Cheney's face. They're like, right. well, what's going on? That's right. They sat down there, and they were so nice. They now, this so is before nice Dick Cheney was Dick Cheney, we should be clear, right? He this was is pretty much, he was pretty Dick Cheney-ish. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have I to go know. back and check the tape on that. Yeah, but. yeah. This is... This this is pre-enhanced interrogation, Iraq war. This, this is this is before he's you know this is before he's in the White House. I but, guess so. But, but still, they had gone. I mean, the the Gore campaign had gone after him as this tool of the oil companies, yep. and, you know, all this stuff. And and Lieberman was just oh so nice. Now I don't imagine that. I mean, Tim Kaine's a nice guy. <laughs> Mike Pence is a nice guy. Will they go after each other? Yeah. I guess. I mean, I, it, it, that's, it, that's actually an interesting question. You're right, and it sets up a lot of intriguing possibilities. Okay, so I'm told that we have Speaker Gingrich on the line, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back here with the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich.
it's Rick again. If you like our podcast and want to check out some others from ABC News, check out abcnewspodcast.com. We've got a whole bunch of shows for you to listen to, so take a look and subscribe to the ones you like. All right, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining us right now on the phone, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Thank you for joining us, Speaker Gingrich. Well, it's great to be with you, and it's it's always fun having a chance to talk about politics uh, with you guys because you know so much about it. Well, uh, we we certainly enjoy talking to you, and i got to say, watching the debate, I was there in the hall, um, and I, I did have a few moments where I was looking at that debate stage, listening to what was going on, and thinking to myself, what would it be like if Newt Gingrich were on that stage? <laughs> I mean, you you had some of those um, absolutely dominant debate performances uh, during um, during the, the primary in 2012, and um, were, were, were you you managed to take the fight right to uh, <clears throat> right to your opponents? Obviously, <clears throat> Donald Trump didn't really do that in that debate. How how would it have been different if that had been uh, Newt Gingrich on the stage? Look, Trump and I had different objectives. Uh, I didn't have very many resources, and I had to do very, very well in the debates just to survive. Uh, Trump is gradually gaining ground all across the country and has these enormous uh, rallies, which I think people don't yet realize are, are social media centers. I mean, just, when you get 10, 20, 30,000 people uh, coming to a rally, the sheer weight of their Facebook and, and Twitter and other accounts uh, gives you uh, communications mechanisms that are amazing. So, so he's, I mean, he is beginning to build momentum much the way Reagan did in 80. And, and the core underlying message for the country is, is very bad for Hillary because this is a country that by, you know, 70% want change, 75% think there's widespread corruption, et cetera. So he also is an amateur. This, this was his first big game. This is the first time he'd ever been one on one for 90 minutes. And and his number one job was not to make a major mistake. Uh, and I, I tell people it's a little bit like Woody Hayes football, and this is for younger people, very mystifying. <laughs> but, you know, when Woody Hayes was the head coach at Ohio State, his basic principle was never pass because three things can happen and two of them are bad. You can have an incompletion or an interception. Uh, he said, uh, and so his technique was to run four yards off tackle and do it three times. That's 12 yards. That means you get a first down. And then you run. It's very boring football. So what you want is excitement. Woody Hayes was not your guy, but he but he won, and he won a lot of games. He won a lot of championships. And Trump's job was to not take the bait. I mean, uh, the, my happiest moment was when he did not respond to Hillary at the very end of the, of, of the debate, and, and she baited him uh, because he's not going to win against a Yale lawyer who's had 46 years in politics. That's the real number, by the way. Goes back to we were talking about Joe Liebman. Goes back to Joe Liebman's uh, state senate race in 1970. Now there's some history. Uh, yeah. You know, so he's he's not going to beat her at glibness and verbal speed and cleverness, and she's going to be much better coached and much better trained to to robotically you do the things. If you, I'm writing my newsletter about this today. If you do the, you go and look at that last two or three minutes. I mean, she goes way out of her way to bring in Machado, uh, which is not a bad debating technique. But then you realize from the Washington Post stories, oh, by the way, they've been planning this for months. This whole thing was an ambush. The whole thing was a setup. Uh, and they had surrounding stuff like Cosmopolitan, which already had a photo spread. I mean, the whole routine. And so then you have to say to yourself, okay, what kind of campaign puts that level of energy 
into a topic that stupid. And, of course, they have a goal, which is to drive away women voters, but they don't have an answer on anything that matters. So you, you go through the big questions of the debate. Trump was doing fine. He beat her on trade. He beat her on jobs. He, I think he beat her on law and order. Uh, ultimately, despite Lester Holt's factually false intervention, uh, he beat her on, on uh, stop and frisk, which is constitutional. It's been upheld recently by 9 to 0 by the Supreme Court. Um, but the country will go with him on this, particularly with the 11% rise in murder rates in the last year. But you don't, you don't think he won that debate, though, do you? I think strategically he won the debate because she has to derail him. I mean, if she does not derail him, he's going to be the president. And he's very much where Reagan was in 1980. You have a country that is sick of Washington. You have a country that is disgusted with corruption. You have a country that thinks the game is rigged. Clinton is the personification of corruption in Washington and rigging the game. Uh, and I think she's very close to her peak vote. So let's talk about, uh, you, you, you mentioned that you thought it was an ambush and, and the rigged game. I, I saw that you said the other day that uh, there were rumors that they got the questions in advance. You don't really believe that, do you, that, that, that the Clintons have no idea. questions in I advance? Have not, I, have no, I have no idea. I, I didn't say that. And I have no idea. Uh, and it's not something I would, I would talk about. I don't, I don't care. Uh, I mean, what mattered was, was, look, if she, had the, if she had the question in advance, she didn't do all that well with it. I mean, she lied about, about the Pacific Partnership, just plain lied. And if Lester wanted to be a fair moderator, he might have intervened aggressively. The point I was, she said, it was just plain a lie. So and she knows it, and she knows it was a lie. I mean, the, the nice thing about Hillary is that she lies shamelessly, whereas whereas Trump is clumsy. And we should say there's no evidence that that, that there are any questions in advance. I understand you're not alleging that, but let, let's talk about the next one. There's been a lot of. A circular firing squad going on inside the Trump camp about what went wrong the last time. Even a quote from a campaign aide saying that the problem was not preparation, it was execution. But there was a lot of folks saying he's got to do more homework. What does he have to do next time? And do you think he's well served by bringing up Bill Clinton's extramarital affairs, as he's been saying he regretted from last time? No, I don't think that served him. I thought what he did last time in not bringing it up was actually to his advantage. Uh, because it allowed her to stay in the gutter. Uh, and allowed him to avoid joining her. I mean, he, he, you're never going to beat the Clintons in the mud. It's not possible. They, they, they're the best gutter fighters we've seen in, in our lifetime. I and mean, uh, you have to go back to Richard Nixon to anybody with the potential to fight with her. So you've got you to stay above her. You, you've got to say, look, I'm going to beat you on jobs. I'm going to beat you on trade. I'm going to beat you on taxes. I mean, she clearly came out for higher taxes. Well, I, I remember 1984 when Walter Mondale promised he would raise taxes. I was part of a a truth squad in, in San Francisco at their Democratic convention, we closed our operation. <laughs> but we we didn't want to get between Mondale and the American people. We, right. we believe in the Woodrow Wilson rule that when a man is committing suicide, you shouldn't murder him. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and so you go down the list of big issues, and she lost in virtually every one of them. Now, she's got to win on the grounds that he doesn't have the temperament to be president, and she's got to win by, by scoring points off 20-year-old uh, conversations with a woman who has a very dubious past, by the way. I mean, Machado being glorified by the left as the perfect victim. And and this is part of why you'll, you'll see a temporary drop in, in, in Trump's polls, because for four days he's been piled on by the media. Uh, I mean, just go look at the coverage. Uh, but I don't, I don't think, in fact, that strategically uh, that she won that debate. And I think, if, if anything, she's in trouble um, in the long run because she can't answer any of the big questions. 
So, but, but do, I, do I hear you, you're right, though, that in, when it, in terms of this idea of, of bringing up Bill Clinton's affairs, you think that would be a mistake? I think it's just a mistake. I think, look, I think Trump wins. <clears throat> the bigger the choice, the bigger the election, the more consequence, the bigger his margin is going to be. He's, he's exactly where Reagan was. I mean, if he says, you like the current economy, vote for Hillary. You like 3,000 people shot in Chicago, vote for Hillary. You like $19 trillion in debt vote for Hillary. You like an infrastructure that's collapsing, vote for Hillary. That's his core theme. All this other stuff is just junk to amuse you guys. Uh, <clears throat> the country doesn't, in the end, you know, cue off this stuff. It's just noise. Uh, and so he, he, he should run a campaign, and he does if you go look at the rallies. I mean, I mean th- those are astonishing. I've, I've been to a couple of them with him. They're astonishing things that you, you haven't seen much of in American history. Well, you know, I mean, George McGovern had massive rallies going into the 72 campaign. Uh, you know, he, he carried every major city in America by, you know, double digits, and he had massive rallies. It, it's, I mean, isn't there a little bit of a danger? I hear this a lot from, from the Trump campaign, but to get, to get you know, to, to, to try to say too much about where the campaign is going based on how many people are showing up at your rallies, that's an important indicator. There are great things you can do with that, as you mentioned, through social media. But, you know, we've, we, we've seen candidates with massive rallies lose pretty massively in this country. Sure. Although you've never seen candidates with rallies on this scale. I mean, you're, you're talking, I think, about enormous turnouts virtually everywhere. But, 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 but dig a step deeper. She, is, she has got half the absentee ballots in Iowa that Obama had. She's behind in Iowa. Now, we haven't carried Iowa for a good while. The odds are very high with the governor's son running the Trump campaign. With, with Grassley running for re-election, my guess is we're going to carry Iowa. Uh, the, the, the Marquette poll, to go to one of, one of the models you like, which is polling rather than... The Marquette poll last weekend had him two points behind in Wisconsin. Uh, there's a poll that I'm dubious about, which has him tied in Minnesota, although Barry Castleman, who's one of the people I really trust in Minnesota, thinks it's very close, uh, and that only the DFL's uh, turnout mechanism will save if, it, uh, if they're safe. I understand exactly what you're saying about the rally size, and I, I think I understand your argument about how potentially strategically he could have won the debate. But you're you're an old pro at this stuff. In the blocking and tackling of politics, is this campaign doing the right things? Are they are they going to be able to take advantage of this natural enthusiasm, both from the, the standpoint of the candidate himself and his own discipline, and the the mechanics of running a campaign that goes into the battleground states and gets people to the polls? You know. By um, 1944, the U.S. had virtually no horses left in the Army. So if you had been doing cavalry analysis in 1935, you'd have said the U.S. must be in terrible shape because they transferred to trucks, jeeps, and tanks. Um, <clears throat> these guys have won lots of primaries. They have used the Internet and social media as well as anybody, including Obama. They are still doing it. They're playing a totally different game. Now, I'll give you an example. The, the, the guys in your professional up and say, do you realize how much Hillary has spent on advertising, which, by the way, is now past Jeb Bush. Uh, and my attitude is, yeah, you know, uh, so uh, they're, they're playing two different games. In many ways, she's playing a very old-time game, and he's playing a very new game. Uh, and, and his game is the total dominance of social media ultimately uh, breaks through in this country. He certainly proved it was true when almost none of us thought he could in the, in the early stages. I mean, who would have bet on him being this, being that dominant in the in the primaries back in, say, January of uh, 2000, 
16. Uh, virtually nobody. Uh, but but he, so they're doing something. They, there's something I understand now. He's he's an amateur. He, he's never and he's a businessman. I mean, you know, he's never going to match up with a Yale lawyer who spent her entire lifetime practicing how to be glib. Uh, and and if and if they try to do that, I mean, if they overcoach him and try to get him, and I, and I was very much against him being overcoached. I mean, he has to win as Donald Trump. He's got to figure out how to be a little bit better at some things. But but he should not try to to, to play Hillary's game because he can't. That's not who he is. Do, do you think he needs to do more prep than he did? Do you, I mean, what, what, and, and oh, what? Oh, 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 probably he should do more prep than he did. You know, look, at a tactical level, he's not nearly as good a debater. It wouldn't take much for him to be 20 or 30 or 40% better than he is right now. Uh, and I think he can learn that. And I think he knows that the next debate will be even harder because it's going to be a town hall meeting and because it's going to have Anderson Cooper, who is a, basically his mortal enemy. I mean, the idea that we have these neutral debates with liberal moderators is, drives me crazy. Um, I mean, this, this is a joke. Uh, and, and if you watch the panels on CNN, it's just obvious that there's, there's nobody there. There's one guy I think they bring in occasion as a sacrificial lamb who's allowed to be for Trump. And the rest of them are just rabid, including the Republicans. They've carefully selected uh, never-Trump Republicans who can sit there and say, well, as a Republican, I hate him. What role is what role is Roger Ailes actually playing in, in these prep sessions? I have no idea. I'm not close enough to know. Uh, and we should mention that that next debate is also co-moderated by our colleague Martha Raddatz, who's... who's yeah, no, and, and Martha, by the way, I would say that... that uh, and, I, and I was very disappointed in Lester. I thought Lester was going to be much more neutral than he was. So I, if we had started talking earlier, I would have singled out Anderson. Um, every time I've done a show with Martha, I'm very impressed with how knowledgeable she is. And her instinct is going to be, I think, to be relatively uh, tough. But, but, here, but even with Martha, here's, here's the challenge she's going to have. She has a foreign policy national security worldview shaped by the last 30 or 40 years, which is profoundly different from Trump's. Not because he's ignorant, but because he's reached a different set of conclusions. And so she's going to have to be very cautious, and I'm, I'm, I'm just saying up front, she's going to have to be very cautious in thinking through how does she keep the debate neutral when most of her own intellectual framework came out of a world which Trump is repudiating. Mr. Speaker, before we let you go, you've got a new you've, you you write books all the time. It's embarrassing to the rest of us how much you turn these things out. Yeah, it's I mean, really it man. makes us all look like we're lazy. You, but you, you, you write you, more. You, no, you guys have look. You guys have real jobs, <laughs> and you have to keep up with all this stuff. And I just hang out. So uh, well, I'm I'm sure you, you, you've written more books than Rick has read. That's I mean, true. It's just, uh, <laughs> certainly during this campaign. So the book the book is called Treason, a novel, <laughs> a political thriller in a couple of weeks. But I'm curious, what's the title for the novel version of this campaign? Does it strike you that things are happening that are that even uh, uh, someone who's astute in the world of fiction oh, look, if i if i was if i was writing this campaign i'd entitle it wild card all right wild card the book we'll wait for that yeah. the next one from uh, the, yeah. the gingrich library <laughs> mr speaker but, but so in much. the interim while they're waiting for it they shall rush out i i wrote duplicity last year about a somali american in minnesota running for congress while his brother was the number two leader now shabab and the tensions that that creates and treason is the follow-on and involves several people in the U.S. government being loyal to ISIS. So uh, I think people will find them both uh, soberingly realistic, but, but, but fun reading as novels. All right. Speaker Gingrich, thank you for joining us on Power Thanks, of Politics. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so Speaker Gingrich, always with that, uh, that, that big 30,000, 40,000, 50,000-foot perspective on what's going on. Uh, but I, I thought what was interesting there, and this is somebody who knows the dangers of going there, is his advice point blank 
to Donald Trump is not to go there on Bill Clinton's affairs. You're never going to beat the Clintons in the mud. And and I think there's a there's a pressure that you see reflected inside the 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 Trump camp and Gingrich now serves as an informal advisor, we believe talks to Trump semi regularly. He says he's not really part of these debate pressure uh, 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 prep sessions, but Gingrich understands and he's understood from a very early time, John, if you saw him, you know, a year ago talking about the power that Trump was bringing to bear on this. He understood what was happening in this country and what Trump was. I think he may have understood it better than Trump himself at times about what was sparked in the American people and Republican primary voters early on. And he sees that power moving through. But there's another side to Trump. And again, I think we saw them both at the debate. The question is which one we see more of in the next one and the one after that. But there's a side of Donald Trump that almost can't help himself when you have an opportunity for uh, a base insult as opposed to rising above and not taking the bait. And, and I, I agree with Gingrich in part in saying there were parts of that debate that you could argue that he won, but by and large, he did take the bait. And because he took the bait, he wasn't able to spin a victory in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, part of his appeal from the beginning of this is he is somebody who is unpredictable. He is somebody who doesn't, you know, hew to his uh, set of talking points. I mean, he's like he's like the opposite in every way of Mitt Romney, for instance. Right. Um, but the, the downside is that you know the, the fact that he can be tugged and pulled and baited, and uh, you know, for a debate, you know, be, being a little more scripted is not a bad thing. I don't think. Yeah, that's that's the thing now for the next one, and and I think the challenge that that he'll face is if you've got the piece. I mean, Gingrich was kind of grudging in his admiration for what the Clintons did. Uh, that he's saying the whole thing was an ambush. Well, that's how you play the game. I mean, that's you know to take his football analogy. You know, if you script the first couple plays and they work, you don't get to say, well, they were just scripted plays. If they work, they work. You put points on the board and. Trump doesn't have the discipline to do that and or hasn't shown the discipline to do that in, in, the, in the debate settings. He, he wings it. And I think clearly he was winging a good portion of that debate. And Hillary Clinton knew exactly what she was doing in dissecting that. And you also heard Gingrich acknowledge that he thinks that Trump will go down in the polls in the coming days. Now, he blamed it on the media, media coverage. Sure. But if that is the case, if Trump, if, if Hillary Clinton starts to pull away from Trump, look, he needs to throw some passes. You know, avoiding interceptions is not going to be enough. That's avoiding right. incomplete passes is not going to be enough. He's going to need to score. That's right. You, um, can't, you can't do three yards in a cloud of dust if you're, if you're down. No, it no, doesn't work. Nope. All right. Rick Klein. And I'm Jonathan Carl. Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Sign up if you haven't already. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Thanks.